Hello and welcome to the Hustle and Bustle podcast. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, the Yugambeh people, and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. My name's Nicole Bennett, and I'm an urban and regional planner and I'm the host of this podcast. Each episode I bring you conversations with city shapers and urban thinkers, leaders in the field of urban planning and city building. I'm located here on the beautiful Gold Coast in Australia. We are one of the host cities for the Brisbane 2032 Olympics and Paralympics. The next 10 years is being described as the golden decade for our city and our region. The conversations on this podcast help us understand the opportunities and challenges ahead. So let's take a minute from our busy hustle and bustle day and let's have a great conversation. And welcome to episode 16 of 2022. Today, I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by a a global thought leader, Dale Bracewell, all the way from Vancouver. Dale is a mobility thought leader, enabling transformative and resilient sustainable solutions. With over two decades of transportation planning and design, Dale is a professional engineer who has worked for both municipal and provisional governments and the private sector. At the City of Vancouver, Dale led the transport planning for many years, including for the Olympic Games, created their first active transportation team, and most recently led their transportation planning, including new sustainable mobility actions for the City's Climate Emergency Plan. As a visionary strategic planner, Dale has enjoyed providing inspirational keynotes on Vancouver's sustainable mobility growth and success to cities globally. I'm so thrilled you could join me on the podcast today, Dale, all the way from Vancouver. How are you today? <laughs> Thanks, Nicole. Uh, yeah, doing well here in Vancouver. We're in our summer months, so having the the, the blessings of a delightful, sunny uh, summer day. And yeah, just really glad to be here. And just uh, what a wonderful uh, intro. Thanks so, thanks so much for having me. Not a worry, and and it's uh it's it's very opposed to our our winter here. I was just mentioning to you that we've been uh, experiencing so much rain, and and it's uh quite dreary. So I'm I'm glad to hear that it's nice and sunny over there. Um, thank you for agreeing to be my guest. I I'm so thrilled to to bring you to the listeners and to, for me to learn more about your your career and. And what you've been able to achieve um, for the city of Vancouver and, and with your your constituents there, I recently came across your LinkedIn profile and and began following you and was really inspired by your leadership within the city of Vancouver. And you've recently opened a new chapter of your career. And on LinkedIn, you posted some of the the most memorable projects during your time with the city. I think it was the 21 most memorable projects. And I, I wanted to start this chat by asking you to reflect on those 21 most memorable projects and explain what made these projects stand out most to you. Yeah, sure, Nicole. Yeah, I mean, it was a memory in, in itself, just trying to reflect back and started jotting down some notes and and it got pretty close to 21, sort of representing, you know, each year. And so they ranged from policy to citywide transport plans to designing a greenway and, and even unique ways of engaging uh, the public. And and I think what it did is like the composite. It really was like this tapestry, this representing the richness, uh, what ultimately I thought was a, you know, a good, you know, long career at the city. And, and then just what I was remembering was, of course, the people um, that I shared. And none of these I, I did alone. And and I actually limited myself just in the LinkedIn post to, you know, maximum of two people 
that I had the good fortune of collaborating with. And, and then just the memories of, you know, many of them were city colleagues, but, you know, like some were health partners. Uh, we have like a park board that we work with, you know, um, in civic government here, uh, land use planners, business planning, and even, you know, engagement and communication specialists. And so, you know, it's, um, it was a reminder, uh, you know, even a 20 plus year, like myself at the city, it's actually no longer normal. Many people are, you know, elsewhere, um, but we're all kind of in that, like you, you did in your intro, you know, city shapers and thinkers. And just really reminded me of those, those, those relationships built over time. And, and then lastly, I, I just hope that um, the post itself, you know, encourages people to think um, sometimes, you know, seeing a strategic plan through takes a long time. And so, you know, one of my first project memories in that post was a False Creek Crossings uh, study, pedestrian and cycling. And it was about improving all three bridges into our downtown. And, you know, so now two decades later, as I was finishing my career at the city, I can reflect back that, you know, that strategic plan did guide us forward at the city. And and I'm pleased to say, you know, for, for on behalf of all those that made contributions at the city, you know, all three bridges have um, either the improvements or the plans are underway to make it better for people walking and cycling. Yeah, that's so brilliant. And and I think you're right there that, you know, strategic projects do take a long time and, and it's hard to sometimes see those wins. So it's nice when you can you can look back and, and see that that legacy is 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 truly there in the city. Um, I'd like to ask what you most enjoyed about your time at the city. And, and really, this is about sort of public service and, and why you found that to be such a rewarding career and stuck it out for so long. Yeah, thanks. I think that, that leads nicely off the last uh, question. And I guess the first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, just having been able to see, you know, the transformation in our city that, you know, I would describe as those things that actually helped improve people's quality of life. Um, you know, one of my first, as a young engineer, geometric designs, you know, this was ultimately a solution for what was a, a traffic collision hotspot. And and so just to be able to see, you know, through the design ultimately getting built and, you know, getting to see, you know, that one part of our city transformed and then, you know, moving on in my, later in the career, you know, larger scale projects, um, you know, now then I got to move around the city and see so many more people choosing active modes from, you know, children very much mirrored, you know, with my kids growing up over the last couple decades to, to new people cycling. And, and of course, as we all age, you know, caring about those with more mobility needs and being able to see that transformation. And I think also like in public service, as I mentioned earlier, you know, you're not doing anything alone. So, you know, the depth and the breadth and the relationships that you get to have both internally, but also, you know, a, a good public servant needs to learn to play nice with advocates, um, partners, and, you know, everything who, from people who attend your open houses, um, and then all the way up to your decision makers. And, you know, when you're, you're a public servant, you go through the cycles of different elected officials, and and how do you kind of keep steadfast um, in, in that, and or, or different budget pressures and stops and starts. And I, I just found <clears throat> being grounded in people is, is, is really helpful as, you know, there's a list of projects that I can remember. And, and one example would be health partners. <laughs> I'm just mm. reflecting back, Nicole, like thinking, you know, my guidance counselor that did give me good advice and said, hey, you know, you you should think, Dale, about being a civil engineer. They had no idea that I would then choose transportation as a specialty. Mm. And then, you know, through that, then I got the good work at the city as a public servant to work with health partners and health partners. Oh, <laughs> they're just so awesome to work with. Um, and then I guess lastly, I just say, you know, I don't know if this is the case in all cities, but at the city of Vancouver, there was an openness to 
you know, do some of your own things as long as you're, you know, keeping up with your work plan. And I, I enjoyed, um, and thanks for the comment on leadership, but I, I get fueled by, you know, engaging my team and creating custom vision and mission statements. And that was the other part of my post. And, you know, we, we, we were allowed to do offsite retreats and then create a working group and then really bring, you know, something that would be compelling and would really fuel and, and, and drive the, you know, the inspiration for, for the entire team. And so, and that's, that's all possible, um, even in, even as a public servant and in, and in government. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and that's all the, the good things. And, and it's so nice to hear that you've still got that kind of passion and joy that it brought you. I, I'd like to know, because I've, I've been in public service as well, um, you know, spent six years at City of Gold Coast, and uh, I found it difficult to navigate that political and, and the community pressures. And I was wondering from your perspective in the City of Vancouver, how difficult were those pressures? Um, and how did you balance that with the desire to deliver best practice and outcome-led programs and projects? And what would be your advice to others who are navigating those political and community pressures? Okay, well, yes, navigating is a is a good uh, verb already in there. I, I mean, it's hard. Uh, that's 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 clear. Like you know, people to to know, and you know, it's always changing. It's hard. It's always changing, but it's part of the job of being a, a public servant. So thinking about this ahead, you know, I had in my career supported five different mayors. So that's you know over twenty years, a change every four years, and then even then, our kind of top bureaucrat here in our civic government is a city manager, and so. Um, you know, went through four different city managers. So that's like one every five years. So that's a lot of change as you're trying to do that navigating of the political and, and, and the community. So my first piece of advice would be to, you know, be and stay steadfast in, you know, what I hope would be a kind of common desire of your listeners is like, hey, let's make mobility better for all. Like keep that as your, you know, you know you're where you're going. I, I, I kind of have passion as I try and look towards improving sustainable modes, but it's that better mobility for all that, you know, is, is, is my North star. And so I would encourage that as a piece of advice to, to help you get through those pressures. And so that we one. The second would it say is, you know, keep up your confidence. Um, we, we know that the work that we're doing in sustainable ability makes a difference. Uh, it's health, it's safety. Now, of course it's, you know, equity. And so keep your North Star and keep up your confidence that what you're doing actually matters. And then more specific to, you know, community, um, especially if a lot of your audience, Nicole, is, you know, in a planning audience. Um, I mean, planners do this all the time, but I, I just, you know, reminding ourselves, like, we need to embrace hearing people. Um, we need to be really good communicators. We can't just point to our policy goals and say, hey, look, this is the goal. We got to get there. Like, we have to translate that. And, you know, my local and region, um, even if we had the same goal, it will still mean that if we're doing our engagement well, that navigating, it has to take on a flavor that respects back that we, you know, the public has been listened to, the community has been listened to. And then that's, you know, the challenge, but it's also the way that you navigate it then to your political um, and your uh, decision makers. So, you know, an example I would say that, you know, to get through this is, you know, you would have time in your career that, you know, you know what you should do or you know what's best on best practice. But part of that navigating the community and politics means that, you know, there are times it's not it's not that you would give up on a on a good solution, but you might have to put it aside for a season and you just have to be comfortable with that. You know, it might come back in the next political cycle. It might just be that you need to put your efforts and you'll get more fruit out of some other ways of improving sustainable you know, mobility. And 
I'm a little bit of an optist and a visionary, so it's, that might be a little bit easier for me than than some others. But but I I know others that have like enjoyed working with me because then I can kind of be the passion for them as well, and we kind of find a way to work together towards some of those transformational solutions. So I think looking in your your network of who's doing that or you be that influencer. But, you know, again, keep your North Star. Know that you're improving the life and the quality of people for their health, their safety, and now, of course, with equity. So that's uh, hopefully helpful to uh, to others as well. Oh, that's brilliant advice. I, I definitely can see how you'd be great to have in, in the corner to just keep everyone towards those, those goals because it can be so hard when you sort of know where you want to head, but it just can be difficult to navigate it sometimes. Um, and Nicole, maybe, sorry, just maybe one more, if I could. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I've learned the value of data. So yeah. I think that, you know, a lot of those harder conversations and navigating, you know, they can get very, you know, not interest-based and very, you know, political and, and, and shots kind of maybe fired. And I think as a public servant, the, the more you can be data-driven, bringing in the evidence, um, and and kind of showing the progress and results in you know an objective and quantitative ways. I it doesn't solve and, and you still have to do the navigating, but it certainly helps you um, and and you know keep some of the momentum going when when you have that in your ability to share that with especially your your decision makers, but even the community as well. So sorry, thanks for that one. I just thought of now. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, I struggle with that. I'd just like to pick up that a little bit in, in terms of what if the data is not available? Like how do you, yeah, what are sort of your tips around that in terms of gathering that data so that that it is there to be able to, you know, make some of these um, recommendations in, a, in an evidence-based way? Oh, great question. I have actually two examples I could point to. So for example, we were referencing some good work in the city of Portland, which of course is just down the you know western coast of North America, and and yet for a season our community was like, but that's not local data, Dale, or your yeah. team. And so we said, okay, but we you know it's all that we have right now. But then we we looked in our budgets, and within the next couple of years we did our own data of Vancouver residents, very very similar. And so then, guess what? We got the same answers in terms of, you know, behavior change, and it was related to people cycling. So, so sometimes you just you got to go through a cycle to to be able to um, then share your back your own uh, data. And then the other one is working with, you know, academia partners. Um, we've gotten some great reports done in those partnerships where academia wants to do some of that kind of before and after research you know let's say for an example we did one before and after we did a five million dollar greenway and so that was really a win-win for both of us because they got some quantified research and we had an ability to report back to our decision makers um, you know through someone who is really doing this ongoing in a research way so that would just be two examples of um, opportunities that that we had done at the city of vancouver oh they're brilliant thank you for sharing those all right, I'd like to change pace a little bit. And I know that the Olympics formed um, a really important part of, of the time that you had at the city of Vancouver. So I was keen to just get your thoughts because Brisbane and, and Queensland are, are currently preparing, you know, in 10 years' time to host the 2032 Olympics and Paralympics. And what are those key lessons you took from your time when uh, your city hosted the 2010 Olympics? Sure, yeah, lots, lots to share. And we're actually... Uh, in the possibilities of having the 2030 Olympic Winter Games return to, to Vancouver, and this time 
uh, led by our First Nations. So uh, stay tuned wow. on, on that progress. We might be another Olympic peer city again. Um, so, but going back to 2010, what we first did, and I would recommend this, is create your own host city sustainable mobility goals. So those would be based on your current local regional visions uh, for future mobility and, and sustainability. And so then, you know, from that as your foundation, launch into um, a couple of other things. So then we, we had four main goals coming out of that foundation. And the first is that you do want a successful Olympic and Paralympic Games. I mean, you're hosting the world. You have the media, you have the officials, you've got the sport, um, of course, participants. And of course, with Paralympic, you know, it's it's even you know more important now to be thinking of accessibility and, and, and equity. And so so that was kind of the first part of the four pillars of our plan. And, and the second, though, is that you you want still a well-functioning urban city. So some special events have decided to scare everybody away for the period of the event, um, but it doesn't really respect that. And so we wanted to be and, and, and kept ourselves that we wanted to be well-functioning, like life goes on. I remember actually one of the stakeholder meetings where I was reminded by someone from the public that said, Dale, you know, babies are still going to be born and how do they get to the hospital? I'm like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, there are just things that are going to go on. Not everybody participates in the games. And mm -hmm. so as public stewards, you you need to, of course, prepare again for the games, make it successful, but also, you know, steward the, the, the functioning of your entire city and your region. Then the third is, and it's probably similar for yourself, you want to build off that sustainable foundation. And so a sustainable games and Nicole, it's a massive opportunity. Mm. It's a massive opportunity starting with behavior change because you're going to have the opportunity to do some different things in terms of your street and your road space planning, everything from car-free spaces uh, to I'm certain you'll grab as much transit as you possibly can and make it frequent. And, and you can refer to people that, hey, this is a sustainable games, but it's also the future that we're aspiring to when you read some of these plans, like you say, in the golden decade. And and what would be the decade after, which points to the fourth pillar, which is a, a lasting legacy. So really talk about the parts of the plan. And some of those would be physical. So like push as much as you can for more rapid transit, more protected bike lanes, pedestrianized streets, but also aim high for a legacy of memories. We, we, we went for countless mobility memories where you know people had transit nirvana, you know, and that was augmented by delightful walking with wayfinding when they came out of the rapid transit stations. If they were choosing to bike, there was bike valet parking at all event locations. And so those couldn't sustain themselves as a physical legacy right after the games, but they certainly were the memories and the legacy that we were able to tap into for pretty much the next uh, decade. So those are the four pillars. Then the next is, of course, partnerships. You, you know, we didn't do this alone at the city. We involved all levels of government. Of course, the organizing committee and all your transit providers and agencies. And then I always joke because, um, you know, in land use transportation, right, we have to be really close partners always. And when it comes to the Olympics, uh, you, you, you welcome insecurity because they do a lot of the decisions around what roads need to be closed. And, and, and so being close transportation partners with them is key. Yeah. The other is, is to dream big. And so you'll have Olympic sponsors. Um, private companies, uh, some of them, and those are opportunities. So we had the opportunity to uh, partner with Bombardier Transportation as one of the Olympic sponsors and and work with them to bring in a modern streetcar, um, you know, from Europe. And we called it the Olympic line. It was Vancouver's 2010 streetcar. And we moved, you know, half a million people 
uh, in 60 days, uh, up to 25,000 people a day. Like this was a, a street carnival that we just brought in or that Bombardier brought in for 60 days for the games to just kind of daylight visualize and people having that accessible low floor, you know, kind of tram streetcar that we we didn't have. And so that so that was kind of one of the things for us. And I think that's an opportunity for for yourselves and, and dream big. And then a little bit on the behavior change, you're going to have to have an, an, an opportunity to do a massive, you know, transportation demand management campaign mm-hmm. and, and involving um, not only the public, your business leaders, you know, getting them involved um, to believe that sustainable transport is key because it is it's key to your success. And yet having your business leaders then become champions um, is is that and, and ultimately pointing to this you know, showcase and, and legacy that you'll be able to tell time and time again a great story um, that's uh, a story that includes your residences and business as champions. So, and then lastly, because I, I was glad I got the metrics part in there, um, and maybe I was thinking about this question in advance, we did a, a large um, coalition with academia and think tanks to do uh, before and after monitoring. So I would recommend you do that early in terms of getting that partnership. And, and so we can say objectively that we had 44% more people trips. Uh, we know that our sustainable mode share, it went up 18% from 43% to 61% into at least the downtown. And then the mode share sustainability was 80% at events overall and 90% in the heart of our urban core. And this is while vehicle traffic, because our campaign needed it, uh, vehicles went down 30%. And so, yeah, across the screen line, we could say transit was doubled, walking was three times, cycling was four times. And then we kind of captured all that before and after monitoring into report and basically kept that idea of a legacy going. And we said, hey, that was this was our proven example, a large scale travel behavior to and a shift to sustainable modes. Um, It happened in an unprecedented record numbers. And then we would build off of it, you know, for the decade after the games. So I hope that's and helpful. Did you did yeah. you build off it? Did it? Yes, did you yeah. see that continue? Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, because we we kind of after the games uh, came up um, a very holistic, but a greenest city action plan. Yeah. And so we updated our long range transportation plan. It's called Transportation Twenty Forty. But in the greenest city action plan, we gave ourselves a twenty twenty target to get to fifty percent of all daily trips being walking, biking, and cycling. And so remember, it was 43%, like I mentioned before the games. And we did. Yeah. Yeah, and so, awesome. and 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 it was, and then this, I can honestly say, Nicole, that, you know, many people, we could have conversations with them and I could say, hey, remember in the games when we had that much transit? I know you don't like cycling, but remember when we had and we made cycling more convenient? Or you remember how we, you know, and, you know, this is where was our journey into, you know, pedestrianizing parts of streets or streets or more into public space came out of the games because people remembered it. They liked it. They, oh, yeah, I got it. You know, connecting it to your your rapid transit stations, which are a real people generator. Yeah. So it totally helped us achieve. Uh, in fact, we achieved that 50 percent. A 2020 sustainable mode share goal a couple years in advance and i attribute a lot to the legacy of the behavior and the memories of our 2010 uh, winter games brilliant oh look those tips are so useful i think and i've jotted them down um, because i just think 
you know, the more we can learn from previous host cities about what worked well, what maybe didn't work so well. And and I think that, um, you know, not scaring people away and, and that sort of making sure we've got a, a well-functioning city. And, and, you know, ours will be a region, you know, because we've got sort of um, several host cities that will be contributing with Brisbane being the the main uh, hub for the Olympics. But Look, that that's um that's been fantastic. Those key lessons that you've you've shared there. So thank you. I wanted to ask now a bit broader around, you know, city transportation planning, and you know, for others, other people that are contributing in that space within particularly southeast Queensland, and and mainly I would say those that are within the the city um, environment. So in the in the councils, the local councils and state governments and things about what your best pieces of advice would be for them, just generally on city transport planning. Maybe that you haven't already captured. Okay, yeah, I mean, I'd say if it's overall transport planning, I I do think it still points back to, in terms of purpose, you know, that North Star, that centering around that your mobility thoughts um, should always be around people, not trips, not pricing, not, and we, we, we use these language, right, managing curbs and um, but even language like pro bike or anti-car, like you're always in the business of, of people. Um, so that would be, you know, first at a high level. And then, yeah, just don't settle for the status quo. So I've tried to use the word transformative and I guess want to be an encourager towards, you know, your audience, you know, to be that influencer or, or get someone that, again, you, you see who has this passion and can speak well about mobility and, and, and figure out how to be friends and and supporters of them. Uh, the other, I would say, you know, 20 years ago, I wouldn't have said this, but, you know, transport planning now is so much about spatial planning. Uh, especially when you get, you know, to a point in time in your your urban areas where, you know, you're more constrained. And so, you know, thinking, you know, beyond even the complete street and that spatial planning to, you know, that strategic network level is is really important. And then, you know, I mentioned that briefly for the games, but of course, now transport planning is so much more like who are your public space planners? How are you going to integrate that transport spatial network plan together? And and green, green everywhere, green trees, green trees everywhere, green infrastructure. Um, you know, we need way more of the or way less of the asphalt and way more of the permeable, you know, parts of our public spaces. And then don't ignore uh, goods. I think oftentimes what I've seen um, is, you know, it's either too big, right? It's the ports and it's the big trucking associations. Um, and and you know, where cities need vibrant functioning economy. So we need to be in the in in the goods and we need to engage them so that we can have conversations about right sizing and you know different different solutions for goods for you know different parts of our urban environment. And I, I mean I, I mean whether or not this is something that you know is constant in terms of a high level advice, I, I just I would have liked to encourage people, you know, try to remember, yeah, keep thinking, let's do what's right for people and like for our human flourishing and and hopefully that, you know, gets past that question of like <laughs> the navigating the pressures um, because it's totally. real and, and you do have a chance to make a difference as you champion sustainable mobility there in the Gold Coast. Oh, awesome. They're great. And I always like to think it's do right by people and the planet. And I think the two P's mm. and we've, we've got mm. it down pat. Oh, that's that's awesome. Look. I'd like to finish off um, this conversation by just hearing a little bit more about what's next for you. So I mentioned in the intro that um, you, you're embarking on an, a bit of a, a new career journey into strategic foresight. Um, is there anything you could share with us about what this new chapter looks like? 
Yeah, no, thanks. Uh, not exactly sure where the journey's taking me, but I can yet share a little bit about why I think it's important for all of us is, you know, learn that, you know, even in the long range plans that we've done, you know, we're, we're not predicting the future. So that's not what it what it is, but we always need to be looking ahead. And I just love this growth and stretching in towards infusing foresight into that. So, you know, one example is scanning. I'm, I'm sure, Nicole, and I've listened to one of your podcasts too, where, you know, you're looking at emerging trends, but I'd say foresight is just one more than that. It's looking at the trends and seeing what are those patterns and in foresight, they call them sometimes signals. And so it, it just helps you know, like, hey, what's likely coming? What do I need to be ready for? And then the scanning that I'm learning to do better now in foresight is, I've always been a scanner of transportation and mobility, but you know, we all can see how you know, studying and scanning the future of work and our jobs and our housing, like this is scanning for transportation. That's kind of where I think foresight kind of points us to. And then the other is, is you know, as we're looking ahead, you're creating those roadmaps, but you know, making sure you're expanding your mind to the possible alternatives. Because again, we can't control, we can't make the future happen. Yet, you know, what we can do is by looking at some alternate pathways and also looking at kind of what might be those uncontrollable disruptions. This helps us. And it's not to, to kind of have a better future plan. No, it's about then with foresight, being able to kind of articulate what concrete action now through that foresight that I'm doing helps us have greater certainty about the future that we want. It doesn't change our future goals. So this whole process to me, um, I'm just loving Nicole because it's it's new and some of it's the same of what I've been doing, but I'm doubling in on it because I think infusing foresight into our sustainable ability, what it's doing is it's it's really allowing us with at least greater certainty, can't predict, but allowing more of that transformation and creating those strategic roadmaps. So we're probably already good, but making sure they're more resilient and going to be allowing us to adapt to you know the things that we can at least try and and see ahead and those that we can't and it's just there for us and so yeah i hope that's helpful it's not being a futurist um even though there's you know a time and a place for that more creative and provocative but i think applying foresight um here in our world of mobility it's just it's consistent with that north star and just gives us a greater chance to achieve those you know better you know more livable and, and vibrant communities um that we call home yeah, that's fab fabulous, Dale, because we do some of that as well through the work um, of, of a planner, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of that visioning and, you know, imagining kind of what the future could look like for a place and a community and, you know, doing that kind of piece of, of you know, foresight and looking at different, you know, categories, we call them the steep categories, you know, and we kind yes, of look yes. ahead mm -hmm. as to what that those trends might be and and then do some backcasting about what key decisions are needed in order to get to that preferred future, you know, that, that the community are, are sort of saying they would like. And, yeah, look, I think um, applying that in a in a transportation sense makes a whole bunch of sense in my brain. So um, I, I can't wait to see where you take this next chapter and and what those are uh, what those future projects look like because uh, you know the the experience that you've had and kind of your perspective on on that outlook is um, really really exciting. I think so. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, thanks for letting me share about that new emerging passion. Appreciate uh, that it resonates with you at least, Nicole. Yeah, and, and you even know what steep is. That's good. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm learning some of these things. Um, well, look, that's all we have time for today. So I, I just want to thank you again for your time. And, and it's been really lovely to get to know you, um, learn about the important work that you have done and are continuing to do. And, and just, yeah, all round, thank you for, for being a great guest. Well, thanks, Nicole. really uh, appreciate the invitation and opportunity to share and, and wish you all the best for that golden decade ahead. Cheers. And thank you for tuning into the Hustle and Bustle podcast this week. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and a review. You can find the show on Instagram and LinkedIn too. That's all from this episode. Thanks again for listening. I'll catch you next time. Bye for now.